Hey Shannon, when you first did your deep dive into phonics, what were some of the rules that you did not realize that you should explicitly teach? Let's take a walk down phonics lane. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge podcast. This is episode 25, Necessary Phonics Lessons. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary Sagafi. I'm a reading tutor and dyslexia advocate. I have taught in all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training, and I've been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things special education and beyond. I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. So we want to start off by saying thank you so much to those of you who have left reviews on iTunes, especially Amazed Grace. Thank you for your long and kind review. We felt so um, honored that our podcast has been helping you and making you feel more confident as a teacher because that's really exactly what our passion is. And we're really happy that we can help you. So this episode is for you, Miss Grace. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Since you said that you were part of the whole language generation, um, we kind of bridged that generation gap. I had some phonics instruction, um, when I was in school, but then most of my college training was in the whole language era. Yeah. And I was part of a brand new phonics program that was computer-based in the early 90s. And um, we were taught how to do non-phonetic spelling, and then it was never actually corrected. So my mom said, for a really long time, I spelled please, P-L-Z, because that was <laughs> what it said. And now like. that is what it is in texting. But oh, I that's know. a different thing. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it, how that works? But um, yeah, so so uh, then when I was in college, we were definitely more of the liberal arts, whole language approach. I was given some phonics instruction in both my special education and early elementary education um, training, but uh, I got most of my training when I did my Orton-Gillingham training, um, so... I did most of my training um, in response to a script while I was on the job in the response to a scripted program that my district adopted that I detested. (laughs) And so I decided to learn a better way to teach phonics. And so I started reading, I I nerded out completely and started reading linguistics textbooks and stuff online and just figured out what to do um, and also studied a lot of running records and low readers to figure out what their gaps were and to know what to teach them. And we made a list of sort of unexpected phonics lessons that we didn't realize that students needed right when we first started teaching, but have now become a part of our um, repertoire and scope and sequence of teaching phonics. Aha moments like, Oh, that, that does need to explicitly be taught. And as I started teaching these, I really held my students accountable for 
um, justifying their spelling by saying why they used which spelling rule they did. So we'll give you a few examples and we'll also link to a bunch of resources so that you can see some visuals that are linked with them and then also um, some more textbook slash teacher workbook um, type resources that can also help you yes. um, with explicit And rules. go back also and listen to our Babbles episodes because that's, we believe, where phonics instruction really yeah. should be mostly framed. These are just sort of some outlier skills and rules and lessons that you might not realize students need, but they do. Yeah, definitely. So one of the biggest ones is um, teaching the difference between soft and hard C and G. Mm -hmm. uh, because they're one of the few consonants that do change sounds, but it follows a pretty, um, it follows the rule most of the time. And so um, students can learn it and know when to apply it. Um, so I love using, there's a cute um, anchor chart on Pinterest called Gentle Cindy. And it's got a face and she's got C and G curly hair. And then she has E for eyes and a nose that says I and a mouth that says Y. And so with that simple graphic, the students can remember that C and G turn to the soft sounds when it is followed by E, I, or Y. So if you think about the word gym, like in gym class mm -hmm. or gymnasium, that's the GY. Or um, if you think of city, that has the CI. Or race that has CE or huge that has the GE. And sometimes students, when they learn these sounds, they'll throw away the hard sound. And so I really do specifically teach that E, I, and Y and then show them the opposite mm -hmm. of, well, if you have an O or if you have a consonant blend or something, you're still going to say the K sound or the G sound, those harder sounds. And I usually teach these right after I um, introduce Magic E because... When they're learning the long vowels, they're seeing that the um, the vowels change sounds. It's one letter, two sounds. And so then they're more primed to understand that, okay, a consonant could change sounds and have two sounds as well. And I need to switch those sounds in my brain depending on the letters around it. Right. I'm going to add um, onto that just a little bit because if you're also teaching your students when to use a C or when to use a K, um, there's another rule that follows the E, I, and Y pattern as well. So that's a rule that I teach early on. So if um, your students, so if if the there's a letter C and it's followed by a round vowel, A, O, or U, it's going to be a C. Okay. If it is um, a K, K is usually followed by E, I, or Y. If you need it to say the K sound. Exactly. Okay. However, after we do that, I do this whole big thing where we say E-I-N-Y, and it's got a rhythm, and we're, we're pounding on our desks, E-I-N-Y. So E-I-N-Y, we already know are really important vowels in the English language. So that flows really nicely when you're teaching C, um, the soft C and the soft G sound, because those E-I-N-Y are really important. Um, and that's how that... Um decoding and encoding are connected because then you know which letter to choose to spell it. Right, exactly. Um, making sure that your students are really comfortable changing and understanding those rules and then giving them time to 
um, you know, speak with a friend. Why did you spell the word that way? Let them have that whisper time where they can actually justify it using the spelling rule when you're teaching these rules. I think that's really important too. Um, along with sequence, there are some other really important short vowel spelling generalizations. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about those right now. And um, the first one after, and everyone's sequence can be a little bit different. It depends on the curriculum that you use. It depends on the student that you're working with. But when, for me, when I find that the student is really solid with their consonants and short vowel sounds, then that's usually when I introduce the floss rule. Um, floss rule tells us that if the word is a one-syllable word with one short vowel and the last letter sound is F, L, S, or Z, which is where we get the floss from, not the O, F, L, S, or Z, you're going to double those letters at the end of that one-syllable short vowel. Okay, like word. dress or buzz exactly. or bell. Yep, those are the ones. Um, and so once the kids get that, they get really excited um, to be able to spell their words. And this also flows really well after you teach digraphs. Okay. So TH at the end or the CVCC blends at the end. Um, those ones, that, sorry, CV. CC words, mm -hmm. consonant, vowel, consonant, consonant, um, that can flow as a floss rule. So the other short vowel word um, rule that I like to teach after that is the CK at the end. And the CK at the end is when you have one short vowel at the end of a one syllable or word um, has a K sound. It's going to be spelled with a CK. It's always with the one short vowel, and it has to follow directly after the one short vowel. Okay, like Jack. Jack, back, um, rock. Pick. Okay, but when it's a two-syllable, like picnic, right. that can have the C's without the CK. Picnic is, um yes, it can. Picnic is actually an exception, but we'll go, we're okay. going to move on with that one. <laughs> Linguistics is tricky sometimes. Let's also talk about when to use CH and the TCH rule. TCH follows a similar to CK rule. So one short vowel um, in a one syllable word um, or one syllable or a word, it follows directly after the, the short vowel. Pitch, stitch, match, those all have the TCH pattern. Okay. You would not use a TCH in the word bench because bench has an NC. So it doesn't need the T. So okay. it doesn't need a T. And there's. Or like church has an R controlled, so that's not a short vowel. Exactly. That's the next example that I really like to use. Um, similarly, you would also teach the GE, DGE rule um, a little further down in your sequence. And the DGE makes the J sound, but it does also follow the one short vowel at the end of a word um, is going to be spelled with DGE. Okay, bridge, bridge edge, edge, exactly. Um, and then if you have age, for example, that has a long um, vowel at the beginning, so age is spelled A-G-E, cage. Those ones. Um, you would teach a little bit further in the sequence when they're really comfortable with spelling um, magic E words. Okay. Yep. Um, and then another really good short vowel spelling generalization is the doubling rule. So 
you double the final consonant if you have a one-syllable word with one short vowel and you want to add um, a suffix that starts with a vowel. For example, you have the word tap and you want to make it tapping. Tap has one short vowel and it has one final consonant, so you're going to double that final consonant, add the ing. And if you didn't do that, it'd be taping. Right, exactly. So then um, when you're further in your sequence too, that's another time when your kids are really familiar with the magic E rule and making sure that they can really conveniently switch between short vowel and long vowel sounds um, and, and identify those. So um, yeah, so those are, those are my short vowel rules that I was like, oh, I don't think I even realized, to be perfectly honest, until much later, like well into high school, when I was supposed to double the consonant in my words when I was spelling. It's embarrassing, but I just didn't know. Well, and I was teaching for many years before I started teaching some of these rules to students. Right. They were just sort of, some of them were magically figuring out on their own and others were not, um, well, because I didn't explicitly teach it. We're well, just sort of clueless like we were. Port I think a lot of people just guessed and then memorized. And as an adult, you've had so much more practice than your students that you don't remember and recall how you learned to read. So and some of these rules you don't always see explicitly in the, in the curriculum. And so you're not sure when to bring it up or if you should. And sometimes they're mixed in really early with other words, yeah. um, you know, that may have a common category or something like that, or there's only three or four examples on that one spelling list. So yeah, it is important to teach them. Well, piggybacking off what you said about the doubling rule, um, we just shared an example with the ing ending, but also um, that doubling rule also comes into play when you have ed at the end of a word. Right. And that affects um, how you say the ed. Oh yes, because, I know where you're going yeah, with this one. There's three sounds of ed, and y'all, I think I was teaching about eight or nine years before I started teaching this to students. But I noticed that they were making a lot of errors when I would give running records, and I had to mark them wrong because they would say dropped or something yeah. instead of dropped. And so there are actually three sounds for the ending ed. There's the t sound like a t, there's a d sound like a d, or you actually say ed, like Mr. Ed, and so jumped has a t sound, and called has ed on the end, but it makes the d sound, and planted, you actually hear that ed, and especially English language learners need to be explicitly taught this. Now, it has to do with the consonant that's in front of the ed and we will link to that rule we're not going to bore you and say all the different right you know scenarios for that but just even explicitly teaching the students that there are three sounds and making them aware of that they'll start to experiment and then they'll realize which one sounds right but sorting the words is essential to yes. make sure that they're really hearing and listening um and i'm assuming i mean so many of my students would be writing jumped j-u-m-p-t and which shows that they hear the sound which is good right but they don't understand what the ending means in the right. past tense of it all so right. we want to make sure that those rules are explicit and that they're not just memorizing or spelling phonetically mm -hmm. 
So three sounds of ED, make sure you teach that. Yep. So what are some other phonics rules that we want to make sure that we teach? Um, let's talk about some more extra R control. Yes. So the um, three main R controlled sounds are R, R, and OR. But um, in our R control lesson, you uh, in our R controlled episode, you mentioned that you teach these a little bit later. Right. Um, in your scope and sequence, the ear sound yep. and the air sound. Right, exactly. Yep. And even some more advanced ones like war, W-A-R, um, you know, sounds like W-O-R. Right. And were, W-O-R is sounding like W-E-R. There's a lot of outliers. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, when we also sometimes refer to them as rule breakers or um, but there are rules for all of these English language rules, uh, English language sounds, sounds and grapheme symbols for okay. them, I guess, is okay. what I was kind of getting it. Um, and you can actually look them up and find out more about them and justify them. And especially if you choose to do further training, you can get really like nerded out as to why these, I'm, I'm part of a Facebook group and every day there's probably three people who post and they want to know why is this one spelled this way and can you help me justify this to my students and there's 36 comments okay <laughs> for each of these posts and um it's really interesting so anyway all right so i have a lot of english language learners and so these are some of the errors that i've noticed with yeah. them um Sometimes my students have trouble pronouncing contractions. Like they will understand what two words make a contraction, but they have difficulty pronouncing them. I had a student uh, just the other day, he was just frozen on L-E-T apostrophe S. It just wasn't obvious for to him to say let's. let's. And then I said, no, let's go, let's do this. And when I used it in some of the language that he might have recognized orally, he's like, oh, yeah. But he had trouble sounding it out in our guided reading book. Mm -hmm. And I've had students um, mispronounce aisle and sheel um, and yeah. just some of the others that they might not necessarily understand how to sound it out. And so what they'll do sometimes is they'll say both words. Yep. They'll say, I will, because they don't know how to say I'll. Yep. But when I'm doing the running record, I have to mark it as an error. And that affects their accuracy score. And so um, I spend some time um, teaching the students how to actually pronounce all the contractions and sound them out. Yeah. I've noticed, too, even with really bright, um, strong readers, sometimes, especially with my kids that I'm tutoring, so I'm going back and circling back, but with third, fourth, and fifth graders, sometimes they missed part of those contraction lessons or they just didn't quite get it. They weren't ready to mm -hmm. absorb all of it. And it gets glossed over in third grade. It gets glossed over in fourth grade. And they really need some more explicit instruction as to how to spell them, what words they, they actually link together. So I've been guilty sometimes of sticking the contractions work in my subfolder. Oh, they can get to that and revisit it at any time of the year. It doesn't really need to be taught. Right. But it does. It yeah, it's really important. Don't don't Because they're in the every bug. Right. And it's language that we use all the time. And our oral language and our written language is different, but we still need to We need to, need to, to connect sure. them. Mm-hmm. Yep.
Exactly. So um, my English language learners also have trouble with the endings, not only um, spelling them and let's not even say the doubling rule and all of that. Okay. Right. But actually pronouncing them. And sometimes if an S is put on a word, they'll forget to say it or they'll have trouble decoding the word. Yeah. Um, like the word makes and they know the magic key. And if they see make without an S, they can, they can get it. But then, yeah, they'll say make us. And so I'll, um, a lot of times I'll tell them to uh, take out their pinky and cover up that ending. Mm-hmm. Either if it's an S or an ED or an ING mm-hmm. and recognize that base word. Oh, is it a short vowel word? Is it a long vowel word? And then, okay, let's add the ending orally. You know this is make. Okay, what is it with an S on it? Makes. Okay, now go reread the sentence. Great. And yeah, so, that helps with their fluency yes. so much. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then also um, ing, knowing that it's that chunk and not just ing. Okay, just right. Okay, you got to say that as ing. Don't sound it out. Right. And I, I think that's another one that um, sometimes kids come into first grade and they're already familiar with that mm-hmm. as a um, word family or or a rhyme ending or whatever. And so. Teachers often gloss over that one, too, but that needs to explicitly be taught as well. And then um, when you're putting those endings on it, a lot of times that'll make it a two-syllable word. And so then they need to see if it's a closed syllable, they would do the short vowel, or if it's a long, um, if it's an open syllable, like making. Okay, when I put ing on that make base word, Mm -hmm. I've dropped the e, Right. but now I have two syllables. I have may king and so that a is still long because it was long when it was a magic e word right it's still long yep but now it's long because it's an open syllable not a magic e and and don't forget we keep harping on this but not all of your readers are going to show you that they don't understand that um even if they're strong with their magic e as a um, an independent word and you, they can read just single words. If it's in isolation. Exactly. So then sometimes when they're reading with fluency, you can really start to get that, which brings us back to our original point of the entire podcast. Listen to your students read. Right. Because that will, and, and also look at their spelling because all of Mm -hmm. that will give you so much insight into what they've mastered and what they're so confused about. Right. Yep. Um, so we have plenty more rules to share and plenty more resources to um, provide you all to learn more about explicit phonics instruction. But we don't want to take up the entire, we are going to take this entire episode to just share this little bit with you, but we'll have future episodes that will have We can go deeper. Mm-hmm. Mary more. wants to go really deep with this. I'm telling you all, I had to Really cut my <laughs> I had to stop. Yeah, I, had to, I had to cut her list off. Because really she wanted to show you all a whole bunch of vowel teams and things, and we'll get to that another time. Oh, man, do I love doing a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, be sure and check out our show notes because we'll link to some free activities that you can practice these lessons with and join the conversation. We'll, we want to know other phonics lessons that you feel are really necessary but maybe unexpected yeah, that you had to realize later on working with students in your career that, oh, I need to really explicitly teach this because my students need it. We want to hear more from you. Or if you have some new creative um, ideas on how you're making this happen in your classroom, or if you've organized it a different way, if you've created your own anchor charts, we love to see all these new visuals. So um, 
Thank you all for listening to the Reading Teachers Lounge. Um, please make sure that you leave us a review. Uh, we do check all of our reviews, and we're happy to respond back to you if you send us an email or a message on Instagram um, or on Facebook. And um, we'd like to thank Jordan Kemper for providing our music and um, uh, the Fruit Creative Ali Zane for creating our artwork. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next time.